Welcome to Up for Debate, a podcast where our expert panel discusses some of the topical, often debated, and sometimes controversial subjects in healthcare and medicine. Through an open discussion, physicians, nurses, and medical professionals sit down and give their honest perspectives and opinions on healthcare topics we hear about or see in our everyday lives, providing you with easy to digest information on some of the more complex issues. This is Up for Debate. When the fall season begins, both athletic activity and the discussion on the safety of recreational sports always ramps up. This can be attributed to many things, including the start of school sports and the beginning of the NFL season, and at the forefront of the discussion, we tend to hear about concussions and serious head injuries. Parents want their kids to be involved in sports, but there is always the risk of injury, and it does not only come with football. All sports where contact is a possibility fit the bill when concussions are concerned, so it's important to provide information on these serious injuries, what they are, how to prevent them, and what we can all do to be better educated when engaging in recreational activities. Hence the topic of today's Up for Debate podcast. Joining me today to discuss this is Felicia Glixman, Director of the Concussion Center at Hackensack University Medical Center, and Christine Grease, Director of the Concussion Program at Edison, New Jersey's JFK Johnson Rehab Institute. She's board certified in traumatic brain injury and subspecialized in brain injury medicine. Thank you so much, both of you, for being with me today. Thank you. For having us. So the topic of today's discussion is relating to concussions, but then also general sports safety in kids and really keeping them safe. So because we're having this discussion now, I just had the question that, you know, concussions are always the popular topic of conversation, but they tend to ramp up in the fall when kids go back to school, school sports are starting up, and football's on our TVs almost every day. So I was just curious, do you find yourself talking about this topic more around this time of season? Absolutely. Um, As you discussed, fall sports is very big and common, especially the injuries uh, that we're seeing. Um, Also, the spring as well, with the start of soccer and and, uh, baseball, those tend to be the the two main times of year that we tend to see concussion more. I think we do see um, the concussion also throughout because, um, you know, not only in the sports, but kids are practicing all the time in contact and, you know, and so throughout the, uh, the entire year, you'll definitely, it comes in waves. And so it's one of those things, um, especially if the concussion symptoms linger on, they may linger into the summer and into the times where it's a little bit downtime for season. And I think it's made its way almost into the vernacular where everyone uses it in the most general sense. But I think for people listening, what is it how you can describe what a concussion is? Because I think with any head injury or risk of sports, it's always a concussion. But maybe you can educate the listeners a little bit about what specifically um, makes something a concussion. So a concussion by definition is pretty much any insult that occurs on a chemical level uh, to the brain where it's a disruption in the flow of the chemistry of the brain itself. Um, And so um, as a result of an impact, it could be a direct or an indirect um, blow to the head. And so it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to hit your head to have concussion. Um, A a lot of times it's just transmission of forces. A person bumps into another person, maybe shoulder bumping, maybe torso, even leg. And those forces can be transmitted to the brain and then that causes a chemical shift and that shift um, is actually affects the person overall for seconds to minutes to hours after the effect and they cause a change in their neurological function so in the way that they speak in the way that they act in the way that they behave um, in their in disruption in their um, way of thinking processing information appropriately motor planning sleep wake cycles they can all be affected um, and so I'm sure also when they 
younger population that Dr. Glixman um, sees, it's definitely also affected in that way. Absolutely. And um, as you mentioned, it kind of tends to roll off of everybody's tongue nowadays. So when I have my patients come in and they're like, oh, I'm just here because I have a concussion, I remind them that it's actually also a mild traumatic brain injury. And I actually tend to say that more during the appointments because if I keep saying concussion, they just have already lost interest in the importance of that. So if I keep saying you have a mild traumatic brain injury, they tend to understand the severity of it better. Now, when you both see cases of concussions, I'm curious because we know just from reading about athletes or anyone who sustained them that there is immediate effects, there's one that might come later, and then there's ones that might stay with them forever. So what's the kind of conversation you have when you are discussing, okay, your child or you have a concussion, this is the next step. These are things you might experience. These are things to look out for. What can that conversation include? Depending on when they present to the office is kind of how we tailor that conversation. But in the immediate, um, we discuss that your symptoms are your symptoms that you're having right now, and they may get better, they may get worse, they may change and include other symptoms as well. Um, most people feel better in about a week or so, but then there are the lingerers. And what we know is also in the, um, the younger population, in the pediatric population, sometimes these symptoms may last longer than four weeks. So I think it's setting up expectations um, as well as reminding um, them to take care of themselves will help decrease those symptoms. I agree. I mean, a lot of times we also see that patients' symptoms um, will worsen during increased cognitive load, physical load, emotional load, um, times of stress, times any physical, emotional, or cognitive stress, um, their symptoms come back. And so we've had uh, symptoms lay dormant for many months, years even, and then they come back, or they can come back after a subsequent uh, subconcussive blow, but not necessarily a full-blown concussion. And the difference is that really subconcussive blows, you really don't have the same neurological um, effect um, or change in function immediately after the injury, but yet you may still see some of its effects later on, uh, minutes to hours after, even months and days after. And I was curious about that too, because I don't know if it's concussion related or something else, but you know, if you've either seen it on TV or someone in your house, if they hit their head, it's kind of one of those, don't go to sleep yet, don't fall asleep. Is there anything that's related to sleep and after a, a head injury that people really need to take into consideration because I think I've seen that many times where someone might have gotten hurt and they lay down and it's okay, lay down, but don't fall asleep. So is there any truth to that process or it's thinking? A it's a very good question. And I think it also has to do with timing of the actual injury. So if you get hurt at 8 a.m. and you still have a headache, the likelihood that, you know, basically we're concerned about a bleed. Um, and so, if you have a little headache throughout the day, it's okay to go to bed at night. You know, 12 hours later, unlikely that's gonna happen. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you were playing football um, and you got hurt at the end of the game at nine o'clock at night, well, now you've been at school all day, playing, you had practice and now you're playing. It would really not be fair for me to say, don't wake, don't wake up your kid because they're probably really tired and want to go to sleep. But obviously, initial period of observation um, is warranted. Um, if they are um, a light sleeper, you know, even a heavy sleeper, I would say, you know, if you're really concerned, just go and nudge them a little bit. And if they rousal about, then just leave it be. But also sleep is important for healing. So if you're waking them up every hour, that's not going to be, you know, conducive to healing as well. 
Right. I mean, a lot of times we know that their um, sleep-wake cycles are disrupted. Some kids after a concussion or even adults after a concussion will sleep a lot um, and others will have no sleep at all and they're, um, they're just going to be fluctuating for many for a long time. So we really don't, um, you know, back in the day they used to have that where we have to wake them up. Now we're a little bit more lenient um, because of those reasons like Dr. Glicksman mentioned. Now if someone comes to you and either they might think they have a concussion or their child, what is a successful concussion evaluation to you? I think it's something that might come up around this time when we're talking about fall sports. And if you turn on the uh, TV on Sunday and you're watching football, someone might take a serious hit and they're on the sideline and there's some specialist out there, you know, holding the finger in front of them. It's just trying to check their senses. Um, they might go to the locker room. I think we know the answer that, you know, there's probably more that can be done in that situation. And that, um, again, we don't know how that goes down on the field. But I'm just curious, what is a successful or effective concussion evaluation to you if someone was to come to your office? So um, a lot of times we, um, I like to hit four major targets um, on sideline, in the office, regardless, um, vision, then balance, and the cognitive function and definitely focus on the neck, the cervical spine. Um, and so if we hit those major targets on the sidelines, really just check their vision, make sure that their ability to move and skin um, their eyes and their eyes are moving in sync, um, that's a big deal. Just because a person doesn't see um, you know, oscillating movements of the eyes one side to another, which we like to call as nystagmus, that doesn't mean that they don't necessarily have those uh, injuries. And so studies have actually been shown among even professional football players that um, not that football in general, not that I'm like, you know, uh, biasing towards one group, but studies have shown that even visual deficits found um, after a concussion um, has shown to um, almost kind of be a bad omen towards prognosis in, if they're pretty severe immediately. And so it's one thing to address. Balance is another one. Um, very important to check balance. Balance actually, um, it's a very quick test to do on the field. Kind of looks like, a, uh, you know, the same test that they do for, you know, officers when they pull over for a DUI. And it really is the same. It's just a test to see how coordinated they are. Um, very, very sensitive and specific. It can pick up injuries. And definitely if there is no balance issues, then that's also a good sign immediately. Um, and then a quick cognitive test, you know, where are you? What year is it? Who, you know, uh, what town are you in? What, you know, where is the game at this level? Um, what, who are you playing against? All these things. Um, and then, of course, last but not least, neck. Remember, neck is kind of, um, it's that musculature, the way that we're um, designed is for us to uh, be like the neck is the best shock absorber. Um, and all the forces that are transmitted to the brain are transmitted through the neck. And it's very important that um, we kind of look to see um, first of all, is the neck, is it a larger, is it a smaller neck? What type of musculature is built up around it? Do you think it'll absorb the same type of um, shock that was uh, seen in the mechanism of injury? Um, and uh, what's important is also, um, is there limited in range of motion? Um, because remember, neck healing um, and flexibility in the neck muscles also can um, foreshadow a lot of improvement later on with prognosis. So those are really the four main targets, sideline and as well as in the office. And just to piggyback from uh, Dr. Grease, um, from an office standpoint, those patients that tend to have longer um, symptoms um, tend to have more problems in those areas that she just addressed. So um, I tend to find uh, more abnormality in eye movements, um, some subtle difficulties with balance, um, as well as uh, tight neck musculature. So that's how we then take our evaluation and help devise 
a treatment plan for them. So those tend to be the lingerers, and um, we've had great success in in recommending vestibular therapy and physical therapy, really um, to help those um, those symptoms heal faster, as well as cognitive therapy if indicated. Now you mentioned those different forms of evaluating a possible concussion. Is it something that you would advocate for parents to either learn those things that you try to do to evaluate that way when they come to the physician's office or a specialist that they can provide you with information to say, we, this, my child hit their head, I did this, we ran them by this, maybe that will help you? Or is it something that as soon as something happens, they should come in? I'm, I'm just curious because I know the way they would perform any kind of evaluation is, of course, without medical training. So what you would advocate for them to do prior to uh, seeing any kind of neurologist, physician, or even pediatrician? So coaches for youth sports all the way up to um, um, professional athletes have to go and take required concussion training. Um, On a state level, there's legislation that requires this from the coaches. What's um, important to remember is that most coaches in youth sports, as you mentioned, are parents, and they're the ones at the guide at the sidelines, um, as well as you know not much in the way of referees or um, anybody else at the sideline. So a lot of education that goes on. Um, if possible, we like to get out there and, and actually educate the parents in those signs that they may see on the field, in order to even just call a student out or sorry a player out. Um, for evaluation and that can include somebody just grabbing their head that can include somebody walking aimlessly on the field um and so and it's also education to the actual team members in recognizing those signs as well so if we're able to to reach those parents who are acting as coaches, then um, then it's important to teach them some of these sideline evaluations. Um, in the, in the um, school-aged and the middle school uh, population, that's most important. In the older, where you have junior high and high school, that really rides on the athletic trainers and whoever's at the sidelines for, for those evaluations. Um, you know, I think that uh, New Jersey in particular, because we, we're here, does a very good job at those education and um, recommending when somebody should be brought um, for further evaluation. Because you had mentioned around this time of year, you find yourself talking about concussions and sports safety. Do you find yourself reminding parents or just reinforcing the fact that, yes, it's football, but you can be riding your bike and get a concussion. You can be playing lacrosse. Like there's all these other, anything that involves contact. So I was just curious as to if you find yourself saying that football, yes, but also don't forget about these routes, whether it's at school or even just outdoor recreational activity in general. I usually include in my appointments um, a little form for wrap-up that says um, other ways that you could prevent concussions. And that actually also includes cleaning your bedroom and having nothing on the floor to trip over. Also, the importance of wearing helmets. Only about 40% of cyclists wear helmets. Um, and um, wow. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just those little things that, um, you know, that can prevent wearing your seatbelt. Um, riding a bicycle, as I said, uh, the skateboard, the roller skates, these are all things that have wheels, should also wear a helmet. So there's all those little things that 
you realize those Legos on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) You scream in pain, you hit your head on something. So um, they, everybody laughs, but you know, it's, it's, it's actually a way to help reduce as well as, you know, there's, there is no such thing as a concussion proof helmet, but we do know that it does lower those incidences of having a concussion, such as skiing, um, bicycle riding, baseball, etc. I think a lot of people might want to know exactly what CTE is because now when most times it comes up it's a retired football player or somebody now later in life that's experiencing something and I think that's the closest way uh, we come to hear about CTE. So what exactly is CTE and what is it that people are going through that is different from just the impact of a concussion? Um, What exactly is CTE? So um, CTE is uh, just a term for chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Um, It's kind of like this wastebasket term that's it's a pretty much a neurodegenerative disorder. So it just means that the nerves are slowly dying and slowly not making the proper connections and the coordination um, that it should be. Um, And so remember, we think of nerves kind of like electrical wiring and each has its own pathway. Um, And fortunately in CTE, those pathways are slowly destroyed and the brain is designed to reroute whenever there is a damage somewhere it doesn't really repair that damage those nerves just kind of stay there and they're um they kind of shrink and shrivel um and then the brain is kind of designed to actually reroute and make detours unfortunately in cte the brain loses its ability to make these detours because the throughout there is damage really throughout all these different um you know wiring slash highway slash whatever you want to you know analogy we really want to use in this just to kind of understand the clinical picture. From a clinical manifestation, if a person can't uh, make these connections and signals, they end up um, slowly losing their ability to concentrate. Inattention is the first skill that's lost in brain injury. Um, some people say, oh, I'm really, I'm having issues with memory, when in reality, it's not really memory, it's actually attention. Their problem is that they can't, attention is really the doorman to storing um, and retaining information that to then put it in, register it in memory. And so the problem is they're just so um, overwhelmed and the brain is so affected that it can't maintain its attention. So the problem is they don't even store memory, not because the memory is a problem, but really because it's attention is a problem. And so a lot of these um, individuals that have, uh, you know, underlying CTE um, have problems with attention. They really have problems with planning their day out, um, making sure that they make correct decisions. Um, Simple things that you and I take for granted, such as, you know, um, you know, planning out, I'm going to do a to-do list. I do this and I I prioritize certain tasks they're not able to do. This then leads to frustration. Um, And then it also leads to the inability to control emotion and control anger and control rage and so individuals with CTE or retired football players for instance that we know of that had this diagnosis during their life um, we hear that they've done this bizarre uh, you know have bizarre behavior and they have all of these other diagnoses um, linked to them that were actually not um, really pretty accurate like some of them have diagnoses of schizophrenia um, and it or some diagnoses of bipolar disorder and all these other things that in reality they don't have any history of it it didn't manifest before and now it's all of a sudden showing up um, 
when in reality the true diagnosis was CTE and it appeared clinically like a schizophrenia it appeared like a bipolar disorder it appeared like a depressive dis- de- depressive or manic state um, and so um, with CTE it's there's a slow cognitive decline um, and then they slowly lose their ability to make decisions and they slowly lose their ability to communicate with people they drop relationships um, left and right they burn bridges left and right and then they also slowly lose their ability to do basic tasks and life skills such as dressing bathing grooming basic hygiene um, and then they that's when the in the severe stages is when they start hallucinating first through usually auditory but then also visual and auditory um, and it's a sl- steady decline really it's a diagnosis actually that's only proven on autopsy um, and so we really have no way right now of knowing um, what it exactly is under um, a pathology slide um, and a lot of these uh, people will not just you know hey go under the knife and and go for brain surgery just to prove this. Um, But again, we see this clinical manifestation. There's a lot of good promising evidence out there, but again, you know, right now it's just a, 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 you know, a diagnosis of exclusion. And some of the um, questions that I get, and I'm sure you too, Dr. Grease, is, you know, how can I prevent this? How many hits will, will I take before I get CTE? And there really is no definitive answer right now some of the um, autopsy slides you know sometimes those papers those people have only had like two or three documented hits as opposed to you know like Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali Um, so they're trying to figure out you know what those hits are and they don't necessarily have to be hits to the head like a head injury or a brain injury those could um, be coming from um, subconcussive hits as well and remember also that um, with uh, just like she mentioned it's very interesting dr. Glusman gives a good point where we it's it's not really a set number um, it's kind of like saying how many french fries do you um, eat before you develop coronary artery disease right it's based on age genetic factors prior history prior health um, everything you know so it's uh, there really is unfortunately no set number And you had mentioned before erratic behavior or um, just not being in control of some of your decisions. And unfortunately, it seems that if maybe a hockey player or a football player is out there and, you know, they might be going wild on social media or acting erratically, people might say, oh, that's too many hits to the head. Um, That's probably the concussions. But in reality, it can be something like that that is impairing their um, brain function. So I know it's something that people use lightly when they hear Antonio Brown is making outrageous accusations, running around, doing these things. Um, It's probably due to his concussions. But in reality, those can be signs that you're looking for if that was um, something you're looking at as far as brain injuries or concussion. That's certainly a side effect. Absolutely. That's correct. What do you think is the best course to just make sure people make informed decisions before their kids get involved in contact sports? Um, that's a very good question. So, um, you know, as we discussed earlier, it's really making sure, again, that the parents are informed. So community outreach uh, projects, um, health fairs um, is a good way to reach out Um Uh, to those parents, sometimes from the pediatrician level, um, yearly um, uh, visits with the anticipatory guidance in terms of, you know, just again, wearing helmets. Um, It's actually a fine line between, I don't want my kid to play and get too many hits to the head as opposed to, you know, the whole point about practicing enough is to build up the muscle strength and the tone. So if we don't allow our players to head the ball, well, then they're not developing the neck muscles in order to do so. They're not learning the right ways to head the ball in order to prevent um, head injury. So there's those, it's a very fine line. And, um, you know, we 
can't wrap all of our children in a bubble, but then it's it's prevention as well as acting on when there is suspicion for a concussion. We're always hearing about new advancements, new evaluations, technology that's helping us study the brain and you know prevent injuries. So I'm just curious as to in your field, how have you seen the study of head injuries, concussions, the treatment, the education really evolve over time since uh, you've been in this line of work? Well, I think when I was actually uh taking my boards, I remember, and I think, you know, Dr. Glixman can say the same. Um, (laughs) We had to learn concussion grading, and it was important, uh, loss of consciousness versus no loss of consciousness, and um, immediate um, or vague fatigue or cognitive decline was different in in different gradings, and it meant different for prognosis. However, they kind of did away with that over the past few years, I would say actually in the last three years, and now it, it has nothing to do with any of that at all. It's really just a concussion is a concussion and back in the day I remember we had to um, you know you you were out of the game based on the type of head injury you were only out for a certain amount of time but now anybody that has a concussion you're just out for the rest of that game until the next day um, or you know whenever you're cleared Um, so we are a little bit more cautious now um, and we're raising more awareness I think and that helps too so and this seems like a topic that there's constantly questions we can ask there's constantly you know, no information that we can provide. Um, since we are allotted a certain amount of time for the podcast, I just wanted to see if there was any final thoughts you had or, or last advice or words you'd like to just pass on to people listening who might want some more information. They might be curious if their kids should play sports. They might be curious if somebody in their family might have CTE after experiencing several concussions. Um, any just final information you'd like to leave the listeners with? Um, I would actually just recommend, I mean, for for the adults and the people that we see that with frequent falls, um, not just in sports, um, just be aware of the um, signs of head injury. Um, just like Dr. Glixman said earlier on, it is an injury. It's not just a concussion. And we say just a concussion, but they're, you know, used synonymously. But it really does actually um, show forth that it's important to know the um, dramatic nature of this um, injury. So it's one of those things that it can affect your entire life, your interpersonal personal relationships, being aware of it, really treating your body right um, is it's important, especially in this day and age when everything is um, fast, 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 um, you know, work, 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 phone use, um, electronic use in general, everything. And I think just to piggyback is just knowing what those, you know, more ominous signs would be is, you know, a worsening headache, if somebody has any focal weakness, if um, they're confused and disoriented, loss of consciousness for a prolonged period of time, those would definitely be reasons to go to the emergency department and get further evaluated. Um, If you are concerned about having a concussion, go to your primary care physician and have an evaluation and, and see, you know, what they say. All right. This has been great. Thank you so much to Dr. Felicia Glixman and Dr. Christine Grease for meeting with us today to really open up and talk about concussion for all the listeners out there. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank both Dr. Glixman and Dr. Grease for taking part in today's discussion. If you, the listener, have a topic you'd like to hear more about, submit your ideas on hmhforyou.org slash podcast. Your suggestion could be used in the upcoming You Asked For It special episodes. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to all our Health You podcasts. The material provided through this Health You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.